more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds. Nothing I desire compares with you. Sing it one more time now. thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all the happy faces praising God in heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get Together with God's wonderful people What joy His love affords When we meet in one accord And we lift our hearts in praise unto the Lord There's no place I'd rather be You've been set free I'm so glad I'm in God's great big family Oh, I love the thrill that I feel When I get together with God's wonderful people I love the thrill that I feel When I get together with God's wonderful people What a sight just to see all the happy faces Praising God in heavenly places What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people Hang on just for a second How many's happy to be here this morning? 
Well, I'm not here to be mean or critical or anything, but somebody forgot to tell your face that you was happy to be here. Now, how can we sing the line in that song that says, where it says, uh, what a sight just to see all the happy faces? Well, I'm looking around trying to find them. Even if you weren't here this morning, you're a Christian that's been born again and bought with a price. What, why should we not be happy? How many's happy this morning? How about giving the Lord a good hand clap of praise? And let's start this all over again. We got a whole new... I don't know about you, but I woke up this morning with the intentions of, of giving the devil a real swift kick. So who wants to join with me this morning? It's just me. You all know who you know all you all know how I operate. I just I love to worship the Lord. So when I'm up here, I want you to join in with me. Because it really helps me out a whole lot. Amen. I know we're living in uh, in hard times, depressing times, and stressful times, but we're in the house of the Lord this morning. That's all on the outside. So what you bring in here with you, that's gonna help you. Okay, so let's sing this again. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all the happy faces praising God in heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. And on that glad reunion day, when our Lord says, come away, and the saints from every land sweep through the gate. Oh, joining loved ones round the throne, at last we'll all be gathered home. That will be the greatest thrill we've ever known. Oh, I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. I love the thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. What a sight just to see all the happy faces praising God in heavenly places. What a thrill that I feel when I get together with God's wonderful people. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Man, I'd like to sing that old song, uh, Come Unto Me. I do, I'm, I'm on social media some, and I'm sure a lot of you are, but I saw something this morning that actually just kind of, I don't know, just kind of disturbed me a little bit. It's innocent enough, but it just kind of shows the mindset of, of where the people are. It was just this meme, most everybody that does it knows what a meme is, right? It's got this picture of the world burning down. I mean, there's, there's fires everywhere, nuclear explosions. And it said, current state of the world. 
And then down below, it had this guy all happy, excited, had a big old 32-ounce drink in his hand and a big old bag of popcorn. And then it said, it's football season. Now, I like football. I won't, I won't lie, I do. But I thought, the state that the world is in and that's what's on their mind, it's going home season for me, saints. I mean, he's got that peace that passes all understanding. That you know that regardless of what shape the world is in out there, it's going home season. Hey, Amen. I'm excited about that. And this song right here has the good news and encouragement that you need. If you don't have that peace, just look at the words of these song, or this song as we sing it. Come unto me and I will give you rest. Oh, come unto me. Oh, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Hear me and be blessed. Oh, I am meek and lowly. Come and trust my Savior calling the oppressed Oh ye heavy laden come to me and rest come no longer tarry I your load will bear bring me every burden bring me every care
has a sense of weakness, brought distress with it. Oh, Christ will sanctify you if you claim his best. Oh, in the Holy Spirit, he will give you rest. Oh, come unto me. that it's really just that easy before we take our prayer request before the Lord this morning I know there's many many needs among us and the reason I know that is because we are at the end and we know that it's going to be hard I'm sure there's not one single person one single family that's standing here this morning that's not dealing with something that is troubling you whether it be sickness or finances or, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's spiritual. But I'm here to tell you, saints, He is able. He's not just able, He's more than able. As a matter of fact, He already solved it before the foundation of the world. He's already got that answer for you. So before we take these prayer requests that I've got written up here before the Lord, I want you to take your prayer request that you're holding in your hearts. And as we sing this song, take them to Him this morning. He can have you an answer before we even finish the first line of this song. He is able, more than able. He is able, more than able what concerns me today He is able more than able to handle anything that comes my sounds so nice. Just sing it to him again. He is able more than able to accomplish what concerns me today. Yes, Lord Jesus. He is able more than able 
much more than I could ever dream. He's able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated this read these prayer requests i'd like to ask brother jeremy if he would be ready to come lead us to the lord in prayer this morning amen we want to uh remember uh brother troy and sister connie this uh, morning they're out of town uh traveling we also uh, want to remember the parks who aren't with us today they're up in uh, wisconsin we want to remember uh the pascals as they're uh having to work today and not able to be here with us we want to uh continue to remember uh brother tom and sister kim brother tom is making some progress but he's still uh got some issues dealing with and sister kim's not feeling well today also so just remember them we also want to uh remember the uh whitlocks as uh, brother david is having to work today <clears throat> we want to remember the jacksons who uh uh, are away uh, traveling in uh, in Florida today. So just ask that the uh, Lord give them safe traveling mercies. We want to uh, remember uh, Brother Lucas Walters. He's uh, not feeling well. I uh, want you to uh, remember uh, Sister Ashley. She's uh, at home sick this morning. Also, I uh, want you to uh, remember uh, Mitch and Megan this morning. They're up in uh, Indiana with uh, her folks visiting for the week. I'd uh, like for you to continue to uh, remember uh, Sister Karen uh, Buchanan. She's really just having a, a hard time with things and having a hard time getting around and can't get out. So just uh, continue to remember her in your prayers. Also, would like for you to continue to remember uh, the Smiths. Uh, that the Lord would just continue to to be with them. Also, please pray for Sister Crystal, who's at home sick. And uh, Sister Grace also says to please pray for my aunt's mother, Shirley. She is in the hospital with COVID. So we just would ask that the Lord minister to all those needs. I know there's many needs among us this morning unspoken. Amen. So let's all stand. Brother Jeremy, if you'd come at this time and just take these request before the Lord. Amen. You know, I heard something this week that uh, I've really been pondering over, and uh, it went something like this. Those things that we worry about are, shows us those things that we're not fully trusting God to handle. And we all have uh, cares and, and, and different things, but I'm so thankful for God's promises that are sure and solid. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful to be in your house once again, Lord, to worship you. Father, you are worthy of all the worship and praise that we could give you and more. Lord, as we approach you this morning, Father, there are many needs among your people, Lord, spoken and unspoken. 
Lord, and I just believe that you know each one, Lord. It's not a surprise to you. You're not overwhelmed. Lord, help us to give over those things completely to you, Father, trusting, Lord, that you will make a way. You will provide. You will give us direction, Lord. You've paid for our healing, Lord, at Calvary. Lord, help us to not look at the situation or the circumstances, Lord, but help us to keep our focus on your word, your promises, Lord. Those are what is true. Everything else, Lord, is just lying vanities. Heavenly Father, we commit these things to you, Lord, and as we just enter into worship this morning, help us, Lord, to just put all those things aside that we can lift up your name. Lord, we pray that you would be lifted up this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would be pleased with our worship as we sing and just glorify your name, Lord God. And Father, as your servant prepares to bring forth the word, I pray, Lord, that you would just give him a liberty. Use him, Father, as a tool in your hand to speak to the people, Lord, and give them what they have need of. We love you, Lord, and we just give you thanks and ask you to be mindful of all the requests that we've given, Lord, before you. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Didn't have any specials this morning, so uh, we'll just sing a couple here before we have Brother Barry come out. If you could bring that uh, song up, Amazing Love. This type of songs typically ain't in my <laughs> normal wheelhouse that, that I sing, but some of these have some beautiful words to them, and they do minister to me. So I'm going to encourage you all to help me with this this is one of this song is I really do enjoy this song and it blesses me because I know you see me up here and you know I'm always always try to be happy but I will tell you friends there are times that I'm not always happy because I'm still in this whole fleshly body and I stumble and I make mistakes I drive in Washington DC and Baltimore four times a week it's hard to be humble sometimes especially in a tractor and trailer but it's his amazing love I was telling my wife on the way to church this morning I said it, it's, it's incredible the how that that God has helped me and dealt with me so much since we came here it's hard to believe it's been 15 years ago but I can still remember a statement in a sermon that, that Brother Barry made that completely turned my life around and it was just one statement and that statement he made was first part's pretty pretty common there's nothing that you could do that could make God love you anymore but what really struck me was when he said, but there is nothing that you could do that could make God love you any less. Saints, that right there, that, that should lift you right up on out of here. And no matter, I was standing up on that mountain yesterday and I was looking out across that, all that vastness and I thought, Lord, in, in all of this, you loved me so much 
even though I have failed so many times and and in my eyes been such a, a bad person but you loved me so much and you still love me amazing love how can it be amen I love him don't you just love him this morning isn't he wonderful let's just sing this together amazing love how can it be that you my king would die for me amazing love I know it's true it's my joy to honor in all I do, I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. Oh, I'm alive. And well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Oh, hallelujah! Thank you, Lord. Oh, amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Well, help me out here, saints, because you were. Yes, I'm accepted. You were condemned. Oh, I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose. Oh, let's just stand and sing it to him now with all your heart. Lord, that you, my King, would die for me. Oh, amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. Oh, let's just sing it again now as the ushers come forward at this time. Oh, amazing love, how can it be? Yes, Lord, hallelujah, that you, my King, would die for me. Oh, amazing love, I know it's true. 
my joy to honor you in all I do I honor you sing that last line again in all I do I honor you one more time now oh Lord in all I do I honor you hallelujah yes Lord amen brother Ethan if you would just bless the offering amen as brother Barry comes this morning let's just sing that song I stand in all You are beautiful beyond description Too marvelous for words Too wonderful for comprehension Like nothing ever seen or heard your infinite wisdom who can fathom the depth of your love you are beautiful beyond description majesty throne sing one more little chorus. I worship you, Almighty God. There's none like you. <clears throat> Let's sing that little chorus again one more time, and uh, then we'll bring some of these requests before the Lord this morning, and uh, join our hearts together. 
And there is um, a couple of things that I just wanted to bring to you. Number one, uh, next week, tomorrow actually, Brother Keith has to do some oral surgery. So just going to ask you to remember that need in prayer. It'll be pretty extensive. And uh, so we had him use his mouth today. And uh, we're thankful for that. But uh, you remember that tomorrow if you don't mind in prayer. Also as well, uh, Sister Sharon Van Wyck, who is Brother Paul LaFontaine's sister. Uh, she is uh, beginning treatment for cancer and uh, it's um, pretty much of a concern uh, to her and her husband uh, Henry and so we sure want to remember them in prayer uh, as she starts that uh, process and just trust that the Lord will undertake for her. So let's sing this little chorus now as we begin this morning. I worship you, almighty God. over us and protected us and we are here Lord by your grace not because of our efforts or our works Lord but we're here because of your grace and your mercy to us and Lord there's so many other places we could be today so many other things we could be doing but you have chosen us Lord and you've called us and placed us in a certain uh, place today and I, I'm, I'm just so thankful for that Lord and I pray now as you move among us Lord that you would just 
just examine every heart, Lord, and you know the needs that we carry with us, and some, Lord, that never get expressed, they never ever get talked about, but they're still very real. And Lord, I just commit them into your hands now. And there are special needs among us, Lord, as we have mentioned already this morning. We pray, Lord, for Brother Keith and ask you, Lord, just to uh, just allow the angels of God just to draw near to him tomorrow, Lord, as he go through surgery. And I just pray you give him a complete and total victory, Lord, in that area of his life. And Father, we think of Sister Sharon today. And Lord, she's such a precious sister and a, a great member of the body of Christ. And Lord, I just commit her and lift her up before you today, Lord, and pray that you would be merciful to her, Lord. Give her a victory, Lord. Give her a great testimony of your healing virtue, Lord. May you just give her that touch that she needs today. Lord Jesus, we, we love you because we can turn to you, Lord, and we know that you have walked this way before us, and you're able to be touched by the feeling of our infirmities. And Lord, we know we have a God who is compassionate towards our our very concerns. Lord, take this service today, Lord. I, I give it to you, and Lord, I, I, I just am nothing without you, Lord, just a speaker of words. But when you come, Lord, we know it's the divine utterance of Almighty God. And so we ask, Lord, that you would just take complete control and anoint our hearts. May we receive us from you. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, if you don't mind, because you've been standing now today in Psalm 51. We'd like to read there as we begin. We welcome all of you to the house of the Lord today. It's good to be here. Uh, good for us to have all of you today. Good to have the Petersons here today. God bless you from Arizona. Great to have them. Brother and Sister Frejo from Arizona. God bless you. One thing about the people from Arizona, you don't find them in Arizona in the summer. You find them everywhere else, right? And, uh, but it's great to have you with us, Brother Daniel. We've been praying for you, and uh, just an honor uh, for us to have you today. Psalm 51. Now, we're going to read just a couple of verses, but I want you to just kind of put your finger in this one because we're going to come back to it here um, this morning. Verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, wilt thou not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion, and build thou the walls of Jerusalem. And then shall thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. May God at his blessing, you may be seated this morning. So just very quickly, uh, just wanted to say thank you to all of you that contributed uh, on the birthday, uh, birthday present this year and got to go to Newfoundland to visit my family. And um, uh, it was a great blessing uh, to be there. It had great weather, and, uh, which is an unusual thing. And uh, we had a great family time. So it was just a real, uh, real wonderful week. And I appreciate everybody staying in touch and uh, everybody who helped make that happen, my wife especially, and uh, I, I, I honestly, honestly think that she's much more of a Newfoundlander than I am, and uh, I think if I didn't uh, latch on to her, she'd probably still be there today, but uh, we, we certainly do enjoy it very much. So let me give you a couple of quick announcements here. Uh, today starts our financial piece, right? 
at 5 o'clock today, and uh, we're excited about that and uh, looking forward to it. Um, also as well, uh, we have some birthdays and anniversaries that we wanted to announce, and, and, and especially uh, yesterday was Josh's birthday. Josh, we appreciate you and uh, all you do for us. Appreciate your leadership and the financial peace here, and may God give you a wonderful year. Uh, August 6th is Sister Liddy's uh, birthday and Brother Daniel's birthday. I don't know if Brother Daniel's here, uh, not uh, here today. And uh, August 7th is Sister Keisha Clayville's uh, birthday, right? Sister Keisha, God bless you. And Tracy Rabin's birthday. We wish her a happy birthday. August 8th is Megan Buchanan's birthday in their way today. Uh, and then Ethan and Anna Pritchard's uh, anniversary. Are they here today? Good to have the, there they are. How many, uh, how many years? Eight years. Wonderful. Wonderful. Good to have the, the Pritchards with us today. August 19th is John and Jennifer Cockman's anniversary. And uh, we wish them all the best. And then August 11th is Eliana James's birthday. Where is she? I know that Jane, I know. She's in Florida. Left the door unlocked. Uh, we wish her a happy birthday, and then uh, Dennis and Sue Shepherd, uh, Dennis and Sue are Sister Sarah's uh, parents, live up in Virginia, and uh, glad to be able to wish them a happy anniversary. They're faithful members of our assembly. Now, I, I, just, I just wanted to say, and this is a bias, personal bias here, that uh, this is a, a photograph of August in Finland. Now, you say, why would you put that up there? Because it looks a little bit like fall. And it's a bit of a bias, but I can't wait for fall. And I, anything I can do to promote it or accelerate it, I'll do it. I don't care. So uh, that's, that's what that is, in case you, just in case you're wondering, because it, it's, it's important. All right, so here's our list of activities. And again, they're not in... Um, uh, they're not in the right order, but I wanted you to notice a new addition over here, which is the Father-Son Campout on the weekend of September 27th, 30th. Is that right? And uh, so that is an event that you want to plan for. Um, and, and it's not just fathers and sons. It's for all the men, all the brothers uh, to be able to come. And if you're not able to come for the whole time, you're certainly able to come for part of the time. Uh, there's generally, uh, generally uh, enough food to feed a small army. And uh, it's a wonderful time of fellowship. So if you're able to, to mark that on your calendar, uh, that's, that's a, a really wonderful, really fun event. So uh, that's, uh, that's upcoming here. Also as well, um, <clears throat> I wanted to mention that uh, Sister Trish is here today. And uh, we're thankful for that. Her two sisters are actually here in the country. And they're going to be visiting her. And then her mother comes on September 3rd. And is going to be here with us for a month from uh, Zimbabwe. So, Sister uh, Trish, we're excited for that, but probably not near as much as as, as excited as you are uh, to have family here. Last thing I wanted to say uh, is that on this Wednesday night, we're going to have part two of how to study your Bible, and uh, we're going to do uh, we're going to actually do an application, like you know, get actually roll up our sleeves and do a study. Okay. So be thinking of something that uh, we, we want to tackle. And then on Thursday, um, I am scheduled to have surgery and uh, got to have it on my right hand. And so if you could remember that in prayer uh, as well, it's been, uh, that's, that's just a real trial 
to deal with that. And I had a uh, similar surgery on my left hand. Hopefully that uh, clears up the problem with my right hand. So be <clears throat> an interesting, uh, interesting week. I think I should be able to preach because I, uh, I can click with this hand. <clears throat> Let's jump in and, and look in the word of the Lord this morning. I, I'm amazed sometimes at how Brother Branham would refer to his Sunday morning services as a Bible study. He said, let's, let's, let's take this like a, a Bible study. And it would turn into something, uh, I mean, it's quite a Bible study. Uh, some of the great sermons that he uh, talked about. Christ the Mystery of God Revealed was one of them. And uh, just, just an amazing sermon that uh, you know, still is uh, quite profound uh, for all of us. But I want to <clears throat> just preamble just a very little bit here. And then we're going to talk about the subject of walls and, and Nehemiah just briefly. But we're going to veer off. And I'm going I'm to hopefully give you a lot more to think about when it comes to walls and just what we read about in the book of Nehemiah. There are many, many great lessons uh, we can draw from in the book of Nehemiah. And their experience of, of uh, you know, being led by God to go back to Jerusalem and, and restore. And they did a, a very faithful job in doing that. It was very necessary. But <clears throat> there's more to the subject of walls in the Bible than just the, the example that Nehemiah and Ezra give us here. Now, just to drop in this statement here, Brother Bram says in Questions and Answers 1959, he said, now Thomas said, Thomas the disciple said, I, I, don't, I don't believe it, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And the only way that I'll believe it is if I have some evidence and stick my finger in his side. But he said, Brother Bram said, God's a good God. And he appeared and said, come on, Thomas. And Thomas said, now I believe. And he said, yes, Thomas, after you've seen me and felt me and put your hands in my side, you believe. But how much greater is their reward who had never seen and yet believe. How many realize he's talking about you here? He's a good God. And that's the death stroke to Satan. When a man or a woman takes God at his word, that'll kill, that'll kill Satan every time. I love that statement. That when, he said that's a death stroke to Satan. When a man takes God at his word, that'll kill him every time. That's the hardest hit that Satan can get when a man will take God at his word. And I'd encourage you today, just latch on to something that is said and just apply it in your heart and believe that uh, God is able to fulfill his word. And let me tell you, you're, you're applying a death stroke to Satan and uh, that's perfectly all right for you to do that. Perfectly all right for you to do that. Now, I, I, I want to say that, uh, you know, as we look in this, in this uh, scripture and we study, you know, we're students of the end time message and uh, where people are very familiar with uh, the end of the world, because that's a, that's a common theme, common thought for us. Uh, the idea of a fading light is something that's been talked about in Scripture uh, for thousands and thousands of years. That we would come to a place where, uh, like Zechariah described, it would be neither day nor night. It would be a fading light. And light is a really important thing for the people of God, always has been. We walk in the light every day, don't we? And you think about where you would be if you didn't have the light. If you didn't have the light of God. Are you with me this morning? If you didn't have the light of God, where would you be this morning? You, you'd be really probing like everybody else. You'd be wondering like everybody else. You'd probably be stumbling like everybody else. I, I'm, I'm just amazed at, uh, 
at, at some, of the, uh, some of the ideas that sweep the world. They sweep the world with great power and sweep the world with great influence. And one of the things that I'm thinking about this morning is the woke ideology. I don't even like to use the word because it is really a rebellious thing. And uh, it, it is born out of rebellious music and rebellious thinking out of the uh, certain movements in, in the United States and also out of Africa. And uh, yet it's amazing how, uh, uh, how that uh, it has overtaken uh, politics in the political realm. It's overtaken in the education realm. Uh, it's affected lots of people in lots of different ways. And that's not surprising. And that's really not all that bothersome to me because it's there because we have ideologies that come and go but I will tell you something what scares me is how much of an effect it's having on young people in this message and and a lot of times that that influence is so subtle it is so uh it it is it is just really a, a kind of a creeping a creeping in a way of thinking and changing young people's thinking uh, I've had pastors who've written to me re recently and said, uh, you know, it, it seems to me there's a greater burden and a greater cry and a greater desire uh, to get back to teaching what the ordinary Christian life actually looks like. And to teach our young people not to be thinking like that, but to be thinking, you know, according to the scripture. That's been my heart's cry for years, ever since I, uh, the last 30 years or so. And I think it's really, really important to do that. And, and now you see these ideologies and this way of thinking and the way of uh, shaping culture and shaping the minds of young people. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a powerful and a pervasive thing. And don't think you're immune from it. We're all, we're all subject to it in one way. And a lot of times we're afraid to speak against it or speak out about it. I'd say in our hour of diminishing rights, in this country, I think we should use our liberties to stand for what's true. Because our rights are diminishing. You're not considered mainstream anymore. And I think we should use the opportunity to speak about right in a way that uh, defends the truth and defends scriptural principles. I, I, I'm all for that and I, I practice that and I think that that's the right thing to do. But going back in the Old Testament here, we find that uh, Isaiah uh, prayed in this way, Isaiah 50, Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and has no light? Who among you are, are people without light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Isaiah says we, we need a savior. We need a, a redeemer. We need someone to come and redeem mankind. He says, you people that fear the Lord and obey the voice of his sermon, a servant. He says, but you, you know, we're still walking in light. We need that light. Isaiah 59, therefore is judgment far from us and neither does justice overtake us. We wait for light. And when, when Jesus was born, the prophecies that were given to him were like, uh, now a light has sprung up among the Gentiles and God has uh, shown a great light in our time because they, they recognize, the writers of the, uh, of the scripture recognize that this is the light that Israel waited for. We're not talking about a natural seeing now, but we're talking about a spiritual experience of being in the light. How many of you are glad you're walking in that light? Having that spiritual experience. And, and, and this word here is the, uh, on the bottom, I just threw in the Hebrew there. It is metaphorically or symbolically, it, it means the ignorance of divine things and human duties and the accompanying ugliness and immorality together with the consequent misery of being in darkness. 
When people are in darkness, they, uh, they, they are irrespective, they are unaware, they are insensitive to divine things and human duties. And that's why, uh, you know, people can abandon the old and hasten their death. Believe that happens? <clears throat> that's why people can be uh, insensitive to uh, unborn babies <clears throat> in their plight. <clears throat> that's why we have, uh, you know, the disregard for human dignity and, and uh, sanctity in our time is because people are walking in darkness. And the Bible even says that they love the darkness more than they love light. I'm glad God's taken me and, and from the inside out changed me and given me a love for the things of God and appreciation for the light of God's word. Where would you be this morning if you weren't walking in God's light? You'd be stumbling around and uh, ignorant of divine things and insensitive to human duty, just like everybody else and, and uh, having the misery that goes with that. I'm thankful that God has made us sensitive to, to light. But we find in our time that, 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 that darkness has again, blanketed our culture and our world and uh, come like Brother Bram said, a creeping darkness into our time. And as a result of that, there are things that people deal with. Now, I'm, I'm doing this as a bit of a foundation here. Now, <clears throat> just to reach back a little bit and tie this together, in Scripture, when a city was built, Brother Bram says, he's talking about uh, Old Testament cities here, when a city was built, the first thing they built was the protection of that city, which was the wall. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? When, they, when the U.S. Army went west and they built a fort, it was designed, a, uh, you know, as a, uh, an outpost somewhere where the government had established themselves and had built this wall. And, uh, you know, it was designed to keep intruders out and it was keep the inhabitants protected. But it was also a symbol of the presence of that country, wasn't it? It's a symbol that the U.S. has arrived. We're here. And we're putting a, a, a permanent place here. We're putting a, a, a place of safety here. Uh, Danny, good to have you here this morning. Uh, good to see you. And so Brother Branham says in Scripture, when a city was built, uh, the, the symbol was very powerful. The first thing they did was build a wall. And obviously, if a wall is broken down, enemies can infiltrate pretty easily. They can get in. And they can change what happens inside. And they built a tower on the wall and a watchman was there day and night because he's higher than the rest of the people. Physically speaking, he's higher than the rest of the people and he can see afar off. And his duty is to warn the people when he sees oncoming judgment or armies approaching or spies slipping in. Anything at all that's coming, no matter what it was, he reported it back to the city if he was a good watchman. I consider myself a watchman. I consider a person who's on the high wall uh, of, our, uh, of our assembly here, and I watch out for things that are approaching that I know are going to be trouble. And if I don't tell you, I'm not doing my job, because it's not just good enough to see it. you got to speak about it. you got to warn the people who are trusting in the observation of the, of the watchman. That's, that's, what he's, that's what he's there. And if he doesn't say it, and he doesn't say clearly what's coming, and he doesn't warn you of the impending danger, what good is he? You might as well get somebody else uh, to do the job. So that's the duty. And Brother Bram said that was the key thing. That's the way that uh, cities were established and they survived. And we find in Nehemiah, and we've read these scriptures here, and this is in chapter 4. It came to pass when Sanballat heard that uh, they were building the wall, he was wroth and took great in, in indignation, and he mocked the Jews. And we find this in many places in Ezra and Nehemiah, that when the enemy saw the fulfillment of the prophecies of that day, and they could do nothing about it, their response was anger. 
And so we live in a world today where lots of scripture is being fulfilled. There was lots of scriptures fulfilled in the first coming of Christ and his death and burial and resurrection. And there was, uh, uh, there's lots of prophecies that are being fulfilled today in our time. And all the different things that are said about Laodicea and about uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, the days of Noah and the return of Christ. Come on. And all the other things, the gathering of a bride and Israel coming out of all the nations and all the other things that are taking place. Well, I will tell you something. In my opinion, the world's not too happy about that. I, I think they're, they're rather, uh, they, they, Satan would do whatever he could to try to stop that and distract people from walking in that light of fulfillment. In our time. And this is what happened in the book of Nehemiah, and that's why we're dwelling on that. And Brother Branham says that every uh, nation tries to equip its army with the best, uh, best thing, you know, to survive. And naturally, every army would want to do that. The reason I think that Ukraine has been as successful as they have been is because they've been equipped by many nations to be able to respond to the, to the strength and the might of Russian army, R- Russian forces. And God's equipping his army, and being infinite, he knew the best armor uh, there was. He knew the very best armor there was. And he gave his army his word. Very simple statement. Very simple principle. And we're not fortified behind denomination or groups. And he, he, he goes on a little bit and talks about that. I, I'm thankful for that. I, I'm thankful we're not being protected by the Southern Baptists. I'm not making fun. I'm just saying that, hey, uh, there's, there's individuals in there that are very powerful that are trying to move that massive organization in a direction you wouldn't want to be going in. I mean, they're already a denomination, but they're, they're trying to add in things here uh, that are not biblical at all. And, and they're very popular household names like Rick Warren, different ones that uh, you know, are trying to twist that, move that uh, group of people. Uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not, uh, I'm really glad that I'm not uh, under the protection or depending on the armor of the Catholic Church. Hey, listen, uh, I, uh, I'm just back from Newfoundland. Newfoundland was a, uh, a place where religion was predominant for hundreds and hundreds of years. And in every single town and village, uh, there was a Catholic church, a massive Catholic church. There was a Salvation Army church, and there was another Protestant church of some kind. It might be the Canadian uh, United Church, which was a, a, an oxymoron that you call it a church, or, or the Methodist church, or the Pentecostal church, or the Anglican church, or whatever else. In, in every single town and village, they, they had their own. Today, there are four churches left in, uh, four churches uh, that are Catholic left in the, in the province of Newfoundland. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The big headquarters, the big basilicas, the big massive churches and properties and so on, all auctioned off to pay for the lawsuits that were levied against the priests for sexual misconduct. They sold all the properties and just let the congregations go on their own. Just do whatever you want to do. And they provided nothing in return. And, and all of the congregations are just kind of left out wondering, well, what are we supposed to do now? And have no priests, have no parish, have no building, have no place. Uh, everything is gone. And they did it to satisfy the legal requirements of all of the lawsuits for priests that were abusing children over all of the years. And now all these lawsuits are coming in millions and billions of dollars. And they sold all the property to pay it off. And only four churches left. I'm glad I'm not under their leadership. Just now, like, I'm glad I don't have my children in Boy Scouts. 
doing the same thing, selling properties to satisfy lawsuits for sexual abuse. You know what we live in? We live in a world where it, it may look okay, but you lift the cover just a little bit and look, look down inside, look a little bit deeper and see what's going, see where we've come to. You know what it is? It's the people who are not in the light at all. They're walking in darkness. They really don't know the way to go. And they've made decisions and they made choices and they, uh, you know, they, uh, they use their, their might for certain things. And, they, and the smart people try to tell them, all right, we're going to go this way and we're going to manage it this way and this way. And now we find out where it's gone. I'm glad I'm not underneath that management. I'm glad I'm not underneath that leadership. I'm glad that's not the mind that's leading the bride of Christ. Brother Bram said that God knew what was best for us, and he gave us his word. And this last day, he comes along. We've always had the Bible, but let me tell you, in the last day, God came along and made it more real than ever before. And not only made it more real, but made it live. He, he showed us that he's still a healer, and everything that he ever said, he, he's still able to do today, same as he ever could. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that because we've seen it. We've experienced it. And he says, we're not fortified behind these denominations. We're fortified by the word of God. And the devil knew that. And he's trying to find a way into that wall. Notice now what he's saying. He said, Satan, if he could, he'd try to find a way into that. But you know where he got Eve at? He got Eve on reasonings. So it's not just the, the might of overwhelming the church. It's, it's reasonings. It's, it's websites. Right? It's... It, it's, it's social media and, and things that can be said to tear down or cause questions or cause doubts. Hey, listen, I've been asking this question now for months. Where are those demons that, that came out across the river Euphrates? Where are they? And the Bible said we should cast down reasonings. And isn't it reasonable they'd say, Brother Branham, that the church is in a better state today than it was on Azusa Street. He said, no, sir. They got away from the word. They got away. They, they laid down their shield or their protection. So are they better off today? I mean, we have bigger churches. We have, uh, you know, television and all the other means, the Internet uh, for reaching everybody. Are we better off? No, we're not. Because that re that, that's resulted from a lot of compromises. And now the gospel they offer is not a life-changing gospel. It's not a real gospel anymore. It's not a sin-killing, converting gospel anymore. Come on. It's a social gospel. That's what they present now. And you be a part of this. And you be in light. I was looking at a guy yesterday in the airport, and I noticed his T-shirt. Just a young guy. And uh, uh, I noticed his T-shirt, and it was like Life Community Church or something like that. And he's very proud of that uh, T-shirt, nice big logo that he had there. And I, I, I caught it. I caught notice of it, and it was really nice. But the, but the guy is covered in earrings and tattoos and uh, a haircut that you wouldn't want to have your your children to have. And I, I thought to myself, Wow, the shirt is a good advertisement, but nothing else is. You know, I, I just didn't feel drawn to the gospel because of who he was. The shirt was nice, but I, and I would have liked one of those shirts. I thought we should have an HBT community church or something like that. But you know what? It, it, there's got to be something behind the shirt, doesn't there? There's got to be got to be more to it than that. You know, it's a great thing to invite people to come to your church, but what are you bringing them to? 
And, and I say, may God, may God preserve this church and, and churches like it, that people can come and experience a, a sin-killing uh, you know, a, a presence of God that would actually convert somebody and make them into a new creature, not just a, a, another church member with a, a, a nice logo on their shirt. That's not what it's about. It's not money, and it's not activity, and it's not programs, and it's not that. It, it's, it's encountering Christ. That's what it's about. And the moment you get out from underneath the, the shield and the protection that God's given you, and he's already got this figured out. He's already thought about it. And the best way you're going to raise your family is to stay behind the word. The, rest way, the best way you're going to govern this church is keep it behind the word. The best thing you should pray for your pastor for is that he stays right behind the word and always has that shield there. Your family's going to run amok. You're going to have all kinds of uh, heartache if, if, you, if you try to get out from behind the word and adopt all these different social ideas and uh, psychology and stuff like that. It's just your family's going to turn out a mess. I'll guarantee you. I've seen, I've been around the block a long time, and, and that's what's going to happen. You need to stay behind the word. You need to apply the word in your own household. You need to be like, uh, like, like Lot did. He had a door between his family and Sodom. There has to be a barrier between you and Sodom. Because if you don't, Sodom will break its way in. And when Sodom gets in, it ain't pretty anymore. It's not sanctified anymore. It's dirty now when Sodom gets in. How many can say amen? And you gotta, you got to be proactive in, in creating a barrier between you and Sodom. Because you know what? Sodom is all around. It's all around everywhere. And Satan... Satan is trying to find a way through that wall. We find the same thing again that in Nehemiah here, the, the, uh, the enemies of, of Nehemiah, they heard the walls were made up and that breaches began to be stopped. The avenues I once had, I don't have anymore. And his response is that they were very wroth. <clears throat> Brother Bram said, we find out that God gave his children his word for their defense and we have no other defense than the word of God. I'm sorry. We have no other defense. We have no other, no other thing to throw at the enemy. That is our defense. There's no bombs, no shelters, no hiding places, no Arizonas or Californias. I'm not sure why he says that. Or whatever it is. But there's only one defense we have and that is the word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us which is Christ Jesus. He's our only defense. Being, him, being in him we are safe. Say that last line with me. Being in him, we are safe. Say it again. Being in him, we are safe. That's the only place. <clears throat> so Brother Branham says, go up to Jerusalem. He said, you'll be witnesses of me in Judea. Jerusalem and Judea and Saskatoon, by the way, he's preaching in Saskatoon, and the uttermost parts of the earth, which Saskatoon is almost that. And he told us to dash into sickness and sin, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Take your sword and dash in where the enemy is, and these signs shall follow them that believe. Notice what a prophet's telling us to do now in our day. This is not 2,000 years ago, but this is our day. And go up into Jerusalem and wait until you're endued with power from on high. And then be, don't be afraid to dash into it, to take on sickness, to, to, to face your enemy head on. Don't be afraid to do that. As a father, and I love to empower fathers and encourage fathers whenever I can, 
to, to take the lead in, in, in identifying what it is that, that could potentially weaken your family and take your sword and dash into that. Take your sword and go after that. Cut that, cut that thing's head off. And he said, it's time that we picked up the weapon that our hero of God's love left us, which is the Holy Spirit, and dash out yonder and fight against ignorance. Fight against ignorance. And fight against superstition and formality. And break down the walls of the enemy. And display real gallant love till devils are routed and the blind see and the deaf hear. And dot, 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 he stops right there. And I say, and, and, and press on until your children have an experience with God. You can't give them an experience with God. You can't make them converted. You can't fill them with the Holy Spirit. But you can fight the enemies that are fighting against your children. And you can fight against the spirits that are trying to enter your household. And you can, uh, you can apply the word to yourself so that God can use you to say a word in your, in your family uh, circle. And, and God can use you and mom to uh, be able to have a positive influence on their children. Because the world out there is trying its very best and putting all its resources to have a negative influence on your children. And may God use you to have a positive influence on your children. It is not going to happen automatically just because you come to this church and just because you're believing parents. It's not going to automatically happen. It's going to happen because you take out your Bible and you open it up and you begin to read it, read it aloud and pray aloud and encourage your children and spend time with your children and help them to navigate through the difficult times that we live in and help them to understand that there is woke ideology just like there's been all the other ideologies that have come and gone, but they only exist to pull you down. They're traps. They're traps of a mighty hunter. And you need to identify those and help your children with your life experience. You need to help them identify that and encourage them to navigate, uh, uh, you know, very carefully through the times we live in. Brother Bram said it's time we picked up the weapon. That is 66 years ago. It's time we picked up the weapon. I say it's high time we picked up the weapon. Because he's speaking to us now. This little womb in your heart with the seed that's falling into it, let it fall down in here and say, well, sure, that's a truth. And the Bible uh, said, don't act like the heathen and unbelievers. The Bible said, don't act like the heathen and the unbelievers. That means we don't dress like them. <clears throat> they say that, uh, I, I was just, I, I, I see a lot of headlines on, on, online, online, not on the wall. I said, I see a lot of headlines, but they're online. They're not on the wall. Amen. I'll say it again. I see a lot of headlines, but they're not, they're, they're, they're online. They're not on the wall. <laughs> anyway, see me after church if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and one of the headlines I saw was that they said, Taylor Swift, who is, I assume, a singer, you're not supposed to acknowledge that. You're not supposed to know who that is, folks, right? <clears throat> they say that the amount of money that's generated when she rolls into a country changes the economy of these countries. It's not just generated a couple of million dollars in, in ticket sales. We're talking about changing the economies of countries. With all the hotels and the, and the sales and the, all the other, everybody didn't want to be like her and travel, you know, travel around, all, all the other things that go with that. That's so powerful a thing. A 
That's such an extraordinarily powerful thing that she's actually able to change the... When people, they want her to come to some of these smaller countries and poorer countries because it boosts the revenue so much and changes the actual economic structure of some of these nations here. That's how powerful it is. That's how powerful entertainment is. And here's a prophet standing there in 1956 and he says, Hey, the Bible says don't act like the heathen, the unbelievers. The last thing we should be doing is contributing to that sort of economic effect. We should not be contributing to Hollywood by going to theaters. We should, for a number of other reasons, but we don't want to support the cause. It's like going into Target. David's not here today, so I can say that. I, I just don't do it. I don't do it anymore. Because that's, that's uh, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying I have a hard time going through the doors of Target anymore. Not that, not that Walmart's any better or Cracker Barrel. With the multicolored rocking chairs now? Give me a break. Imagine waking up your grandfather and telling him at Cracker Barrel, you know, they had multicolored rainbow rocking chairs. They wouldn't believe it. And, and I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating at all political dissent or anything at all like that, because a lot of them are, in order to survive, they're all like that, right? You know, in today's marketplace, a lot of them are like that, and that's just the way that it is. But I just find certain things detestable, and if I can... Speak for something, that's good, I will. But if I can speak against it, I, I don't think that that hurts either. To do it in the right way. Amen. To do it in the right way. And the Bible says we, we shouldn't act like unbelievers. And we shouldn't act like uh, the heathen out there. And don't yoke yourself with them. Come out from among them. And if you love the world or the things of the world, the love of God's uh, not even in you yet. You've never been born. Then let the male, let Christ, watch what he says now. Let Jesus, our lover, with his seed in your heart, he comes to his seed to make it live. If I were you as a father and I had unconverted children under my roof, I would print that quote out and help children understand it's not because you're physically in church. That doesn't save you and that does not make you a believer because you're sitting in church. No more than standing in the forest would make you a tree. You've got to have an experience of a new birth with Christ. And then he comes to his seed to make it alive. And now it's not you, now it's not you and it's not uh, my life and mom's life. It, it's, it's Christ's life living inside you and expressing itself. And that's a real thing that takes over in your life. It's a real thing. It starts small like any seed, but it grows. And it becomes a real Christian life that's expressed and pleasing unto God. And Brother Bram's saying that here's what, here's what you have to do. Make sure that you're not entangling yourself in the yoke of bondage with the world anymore. you got to put distance between your and the world. Like Joseph, he put distance between himself and Potiphar's wife. He used his feet for discernment and he got away. It doesn't matter what everybody else did. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks here. When you recognize something that drags you down or something that uh, represents evil in your life or something that represents, uh, you know, the influence of Satan in your life, you got to be able to be, you got to actually act on it. You had to put a distance between yourself and that and don't yoke yourself up with it because if you hang around it, you're going to begin to talk like it. You're going to begin to act like it. You're going to begin to dress like it. You're going to begin to think like it. You're going to begin to turn cool on the Bible like it everybody else does. And you don't want to do that. But we're not doing it because the rules say so. It's not doing it because Brother Barry turns red in the face when he says it. We do it because, the, because that's what Christ will make you do. He'll make you live according to his word. And he comes to make his seed and make it alive. That's exactly what he does. Stay with me. Stay with me here. So God's word is right. And the word that is prophesied for this day corrects the error of the day. 
I really like that statement, and there's a lot to that. But let me just say this. The word that is prophesied for this day corrects the error of the day. So the word that's promised for today, and since we're in this theme here, the Bible says Jesus promised us that one day it will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. At the end of the Gentile reign, it'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? If you're not careful, you can think like this world very easily, but the word corrects that. The word says we shouldn't think like that because that's going to be judged. That's going to be struck hard. God's going to deal with that. Just like he dealt with Sodom back there, God's going to deal with it up here. And you don't want to be pulled into thinking like that, like like, uh, everybody's got a right to their own expression of what a family is. Be two women or two men or, or two men and a woman or whatever other perversion they have. And, and a lot of times you can, be, you, can be, you can become sympathetic towards that. Now, you, you may think I'm an old fogey, but I will tell you, that's what ministers are writing me about. And I've, I've said lots of this in times past, but ministers have written to me and said, this is what young people are actually talking about at some of these camps. Not, not that it's being uh, you know, publicly, but privately in their conversations. This, these, are, these are topics of conversation. We should be sympathetic towards this. We need to be a little softer on this. And, and, and you know what? You can only think that way. You can all, listen to me. You can only think that way if you're not reading the message. A lot of the problem simply comes from the fact that people are not reading their Bible and they're not listening to the message. Because if anything, Brother Brandon was not soft towards Laodicea. He was not soft towards women cutting their hair. He was not soft to dresses above people, uh, women's knees. I asked Brother Branham's daughters, my wife and I, we, we asked them and, and said, what did Brother Branham tell you in, in his household? And he said, he said, a woman's dress or skirt should cover their knees when they're sitting, walking, or standing. And I thought, wow, that makes sense. A woman's dress or skirt should cover their knees when they're standing, walking, or sitting. Practice that and you won't have any of these quotes bother you. The word for the day corrects the error of the day. The word itself, he said, corrects. The word itself corrects the error and the people say, oh, let's join this and let's go to the council and let's do all these things. That's an error. And the word comes back and corrects that error by identifying itself. Yes, there is there is, uh, you know, a thrust towards gathering today. But let me tell you, that's a platform for the Antichrist. So the word corrects that, right? It may seem logical. It may seem safe. It may seem practical to gather, be a part of a system that protects churches. Because, my goodness, no one is left protecting churches anymore. I mean, if you think people are up in Washington now defending your, uh, your spiritual rights as Protestants, you got to be kidding. It's not happening. And so therefore, you know, movements that tend to bring people together to protect our religious rights, our, our right to gather, and our right to preach what we want. If you're in California now, you're not allowed to tell a person that, uh, in, in terms of transgender activity and so forth, you're not allowed to tell them that, as a minister, you're not allowed to tell them that that's, that's not right. But they went a step further and said, you have to tell them that it is a possibility. 
You can, do, you can do this. You have to include that. And if you talk to somebody who's a transgender in your church or they come to you for advice or counsel, you have to tell them that that's, a, that's an acceptable lifestyle. That's a, that's a way of, of living. Let alone not, tell, not telling them it's not right. You're not, allowed, you're not allowed to tell them that. But you have to tell them that it's okay. So now imagine if that happened here and, and all of a sudden now you had a movement that said, let's protect ourselves to be able to speak to people out, out of the scripture. Logically, it, my goodness, it might seem that that would be a, a sensible thing to do. But Brother Branham said, you watch those things. They become a platform for the Antichrist to bind people together. It's logical, it's safe, it's practical, economical, all of that. But you know what? The word corrects the error. Because I think there's a really, really important reason why churches are sovereign. Now, let me, <clears throat> let me just drop in four things, and then I want to turn a corner, okay? So stay with me here. Number one, God can and use unique circumstances in your life to bring you closer to himself. God will use those things. God will even use your weaknesses. God will use your frailties. God will use your family heritage and all of that. But he'll use those circumstances in your life to bring you closer to him. Because God's, let me tell you, God's always interested in your spiritual development and your character development. Because that's the one thing you're taking with you. That's what God's interested in honing and refining. The second thing is, is that you've got to learn to judge things according to the word and be led by the spirit of how to respond. You have to learn how to judge things according to the spirit. According to God's word, you have to learn to judge those things. And you got to do it for your family and figure how much of sports are we going to allow and how much uh, sleepovers are we going to allow and how much internet are we going to allow and all the other things there uh, that, uh, that affect us in our daily life. You have to learn to judge things and learn where to draw the lines. Because, listen, folks, nobody is going to draw the line for you. Nobody's going to reach into your home or you're not going to uh, get a, a mail out from the government that says, here's a good way to protect your family. Even though they're saying that there needs to be some boundaries and uh, uh, you know, protection and training in place for children before they get on social media. They're saying that. But you're not going to get good instruction from them. You're going to have to do that. God's given you all this teaching over all these years to, to do that. Your confession matters. What you say matters. What you confess to your children and what you confess as a, a person, that makes a difference. It makes a difference not only to you and uh, your family, but it makes a difference to the Holy Spirit. Because you can actually call the Holy Spirit on the scene by your confession. Do you believe that? You can excite the Holy Spirit by what you say. You remember when the disciples, in Acts chapter 4, I think it is, uh, when the, uh, the disciples, they, they were persecuted because Peter uh, prayed for that man at the gate beautiful. Remember the story? And they were called in by the Sanhedrin, and they, they chastened them, and they, they uh, told them that they, they, shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't be doing this and so forth. And Peter said, well, it's you know, it a greater thing for us to obey man than God and so forth. And, and they went on their way. When they went on their way, they, they went and they uh, got together in an upper room somewhere and they began to rejoice and pray. And when they did, they were praying the Psalms. If you look up uh, in the scripture, you'll see where they were actually mouthing the words of David uh, prophesying about this time. That the heathen will rage and, uh, you know, all the people will be gathered against the Christ and, and, and so forth. And they were actually mouthing the scripture and they were rejoicing and praying and thanking God that they were on the right track. And, and, the, and the response of God is what's really neat. 
Because when he heard them praying the scripture and realized they got it, he starts tapping his foot. And the the Bible says that the room was shaken where they were. Because God got excited. And you can excite the Holy Spirit by your confession. You're not going to excite him by the size of your flat screen in your living room. But you're going to excite him by the words you say. That's how you draw him on the scene. And number four, you have to learn to fight not for victory, because victory is already ours, but from the position of victory. That whenever you go into battle, whenever you fight for your family, whenever you fight for what's right, and whenever you stand for what's true and right, you're going at it from a position of victory, not for victory. Somebody say amen. That's the way we should learn to fight. That's the way. Hey, we say we can do all things through Christ who who strengthens us. We are more than conquerors and all the other things there. Hey, Jesus has already paved the way. He's already fought the battle. He's already defeated hell and death and the grave and all of that. We're fighting from a position of victory, not for victory. And everybody ought to say amen. amen. That should be your mindset for going into battle. That should be your way of thinking in going into battle. Can I turn a corner? You might be filled, Brother Branham said, with a bunch of malice. United under one head is the sermon. And he's he's dealing with uh, people at the end of the service, an altar call, and he says, you might be filled with malice. You might have a bunch of prejudice. So full of it that you can't even sit and hear a sermon preached. You're going to get up and walk out. He's just talking to people here. This might be your condition. In other words, this is what he's saying. You might be filled with a lot of hatred. You despise anyone that doesn't agree with you. There's some people that you don't want to disagree with. Because you know what? It's over. It's over for life. You've just received a life sentence when you disagree with some people. I appreciate it when you can correct people in the church and they're there next Sunday. Jordan, is that, that's not why you're here, is it? I'm only joking. You might be filled with a lot of hatred. He says your own life bears you record of what you're filled with. By your fruits you shall know them. You might be filled with a bunch of laziness or too lazy to do anything about it. Well, he says you don't have to be that way because Christ died that you might be cleansed from all of that. You don't have to, you don't have to stay that way. You can change. There's, just, there's things you can do. There's an altar you can come to. There's a pool that's filled with water. There's a fountain filled with blood. There's a way. There's a light. There's a message. There's hope. You don't have to stay that way. There are good things that God has provided for us. There's avenues of escape out of your rotten lifestyle. There's, There's freedom from addiction. There's deliverance from bondage. There's there's a chain breaker in our midst. And that's just not nice words to a song. That's a reality. He's real. But because we live in a world where there's darkness, and because we live in a world where Satan has such an influence, and all those demons are somewhere, people get filled up with malice, or they get filled up with hate, so they can't tolerate people who despise or disagree with you. I will tell you, that spirit has found its way even among Christians. But you don't have to be that way. But let's look at a 
little bit of scripture. Psalm 51, you still have it open there? And if you don't mind, there's a lot of really good pieces to this teaching here. But before we read the psalm, I need you to read the intro. And the intro is that little part that's under the words Psalm 51. And in my Bible, this is what it says. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So that's the context, okay? That's the reason for the visit. Nathan comes to David, and David writes this psalm as a result of that. So remember the context now. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness and according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. David does the right thing here. He doesn't say, well, I'm in the message. I've been in the message a long time. And I knew Brother Branham and I traveled to Jeffersonville once a year. He's not saying that. He's owning his problem. You know whose problem is this is? It's David's, and he's owning it. And he said, I acknowledge my transgression. I'm not blaming anybody else. I got myself into this. This was a choice. And he says, against thee, verse 4, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. You have every right to judge me. I'm a leader in Israel. I'm picked, handpicked by God to be the king of Israel. I'm an example. I am a person who knows better. And one of the ways David knows better is that if you look back in the book of Deuteronomy, God warned the people back then, one day you're going to have a king. You have prophets, but you're going to have a king. And when you have a king, one of the things kings have to do when they come, when they come into office, the very first thing that they have to do is to take the first five books of the law and write them out by hand. They couldn't dictate them. They couldn't have their scribe do it. They had to take a pen, and they had to write out the first five books by hand in their notebook. And they had to carry it with them. I could, I've showed you that before. And so it's not, David can't say, I didn't know the law. I didn't know the rules concerning adultery. David says, hey, you're justified when thou speakest. If you cast me aside, you're justified. Because you know what? I am guilty. And I, I love this because this, if you're going to repent, this is the way to repent. This is the way to make, try to make it right with God. And, and he's coming to God, appealing to his mercy. And that's really an important thing to do. He's not coming to God, appealing to him based on his performance or his record or his years of service. He's appealing to God based on God's mercy. And that's a really, really good way to come to God. You can read the whole uh, psalm here. But he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David knew, even though I've hid my word in his heart. Now stay with me here. This is important. David knew that he, he needed something he didn't have. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against me. But you know what he didn't have? He didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to make the word work. Right? He's prior to the day of Pentecost. So he can read his word and hide God's word in his heart, but he can't make it work. And he says, if, if I'm going to be clean, Lord, it's got to be you. If I'm going to be, 
If I'm going to walk uprightly, it's going to be you, Lord. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. He's asking God to do what he can do. He can do some things, but he cannot create a new heart. Jeremiah 33, Ezekiel 33, 37. Those chapters are the pronouncements for Israel. And one day, God's going to come and take away that stony heart and put a new heart within you, right? Guess what? David didn't have it, but he knew he needed it. Because that's his heart cry. Listen, if you're unconverted here today, you may have a groaning and a longing for something. You'll never be able to do it no matter how many good message churches you sit in. It's got to be, it's got to be Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not me that lives now, but Christ that lives in me. That's the new heart David's longing for, right? Are we okay? Sounds like you're with me. And, and David says, Lord, if you'll do that, last verse on the screen, then I will teach transgressors thy ways. I'll tell other people about it. And, and I'll tell sinners, this is what they need. Lord, help me, and I will be your mouthpiece. But I can't give it out unless I have it myself. And, that, and that's, what he's, that's what he's actually asking God. And God loves this. God loves this kind of a contrite heart. Now, go down 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I have given it. Thou delightest not in the burnt offering. Personally, David wrote checks for over uh, several million dollars for the construction of the temple. David's a giver. The amount of animals and blood that was shed at the dedication of that temple and all of the sacrifices that David had made, David says, hey, if you want more sacrifices, I'm your man. I could have done it. But the sacrifices of God, what God's after, is a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. God will not despise that. Are you following me in your Bible there? God will not, God will not turn away from that. When a man comes humbly, when a man comes broken... When a young person comes and realizes, I can't do this anymore. It's got to be God. God loves that. I'm telling you, God loves that. And then he says an extraordinary thing. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion. And build thou the walls of Jerusalem. What's the walls of Jerusalem got to do with this? Except walls create safety. And if the enemy has gotten in, there's a breach in the wall. All of us should be... St- I've read to you a dozen quotes here this morning that our defense is what? The word. The word becomes symbolically or metaphorically our wall, doesn't it? Let down the wall. Guess what? That adulterous spirit just steps right over that. You let down the walls and... Malice comes in. Anger comes in. Lust comes in. You know what, what I read you before? The devil's looking at the wall, looking for a loose place. He's looking for a hole in the wall. He's looking for a place to get in. And you know what David realizes? I'm in the position I'm in because the walls of Jerusalem are not solid in my life. Lord, build out the walls of Jerusalem. If you're struggling with something today and some, you realize something's got a foothold in your life, you should put your hands up and say, Lord, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Yeah. Because we can create walls between ourselves and God. I'm going to give that wall a name. It's called denial. 
You thought denial was just a river in Egypt. But there's a lot of people who deny that, yeah, this, this will never happen to me. This will never happen to me. I, I mean, I've been in the message a long time, and this will never happen to me. You know what that is? It's a wall of self-deception. And self-deception is a terrible thing. Because you, don't, you, you never think you're wrong. All those quotes that Brother Bram gives, they're for the other people. Patmos vision. Someday, glory, when he comes as a judge, he'll tread on the Antichrist and all of his enemies. Hallelujah. He'll walk through the earth with a rod of iron in his hand. Amen. Oh, repent, sinner friend, while you've got a chance to repent. Try. Put it off and think, oh, it's just a little story that won't happen. It'll happen. And you'll say, it just couldn't happen to me. And here's Brother Bam's message to you. It will. You can hide in the best hole you can find. You can hide behind the best message preacher you know. You can hide behind your performance. You can hide behind your money. You can hide behind your good looks. But you know what? One day you're going to meet a righteous judge. That's, that's simply what he's telling. He's telling that congregation. People are sitting there saying it couldn't happen to me and it will. Can I go a little further? Let me give you an example. Here's a great example. And I've told you this story a hundred times, just to summarize it. This is the woman who comes to Brother Ram's house, and she's sitting there really nervous, really nervous. I mean, uber nervous. And Brother Ram's chatting with her, and uh, she's, she's, she doesn't know what's wrong. In her view, she actually doesn't know what's wrong. So Brother Bram said, I started to talk to her. and She's the Sunday school in the class. Brother Bram knows the pastor. His name is Pastor Johnson. Doing a good work. But he said there was something hung over her. He couldn't identify what it was, but he got something hung over. And I sat down and just started walking, talking about genealogies and about the beginning of time and just watching her. He's just, you know, catching her spirit, that kind of thing. But he's, he's just waiting on God, you know. And he said... God's always there at the crucial moment. And after a while, I looked out, and there come a vision. And I seen an automobile going swiftly. And he said, now, ma'am, your condition has something to do with an automobile. And she said, no, I was never in a wreck. And said, I see you in a car, and you almost got hit by a train. And she jumped up and said, oh. And I said, yes, you're not with your husband. You're with another man. Your husband was overseas at that time and went ahead and begin to bring it down. He describes this. And he says, the things you've done, the immoral things, you told him about some of it, but you didn't tell him about it all. Wow. And she starts screaming and hold her face like that. And I said, you was going to have an operation not too long ago for your tonsils, and you were afraid to take the anesthetic, afraid that you'd go under, and tell that under the influence of anesthetic. You see what's happening here? She's, she's coming to Brother Branham thinking she's okay spiritually, but has all these problems. She's got all these nervous issues and problems and physical issues and so forth, but she has no idea why they're there. She has a wall built up there. She can't see over that wall. 
And it's a wall between her and God because she can't get healing. She can't proceed. She can't go on in life because she has this wall there and has no idea that there's anything wrong or incorrect or incomplete. And Brother Branham says, yeah. He says, that's the way it is. And she screamed and fell on the floor. She said, that's the truth. And Brother Branham said, how can you get anywhere with that hanging there? In other words, how can you get to God if you got a wall there? See what he's saying? And I said, I asked God to forgive, uh, forgive her. And I said, you never sinned against God. You sinned against your husband and vows. Now you go back and make that right and then come and I'll control that demon. Then She says, I can't do it. He'll leave me. He'll leave me. And he says, well, he says, you're going to lose your mind if you don't anyway. So you got to kind of pick your, pick your poison, one or the other, right? And, and then he says, and by the way, he has something to tell you also. She said, he does. Yeah. Brother Rand said, go talk to her. So she does. She goes talk to him. And they both confess to each other. And they come back to Brother Brandon. Brother Brandon talks to them and prays for them and so forth. Very simple prayer, but he talks to them. So now all of a sudden the wall's taken away. Now they have access to God because it's under the blood. Aren't you glad for the blood? Amen. Am I making sense? Yes. But you can have that wall up there and die with that wall. It's a wall of self-denial, self-deceit. And, and, the, and the great part of that story is the ending of it because... That man, who was a Sunday school teacher in his church in Jeffersonville, and Brother Bram knew him very well, they repented, both of them made it right, went on. He went on to become the pastor of that church and died just a couple of years ago. Served the Lord all of his life till he was 99 years old. Got right with God. Brother Bram said, you don't have to live with all the malice and hate and anger in your life and you know, despising anybody that disagrees with you. You don't have to live that way. He said, Jesus Christ is here to, you know, take that away from you. But you know what a lot of people run into? They run into a wall. I'm not getting through to God. I'm going to leave that church. I'm not going to pay tithes there. And you know what it is? They're just kind of barricaded behind their own wall of their own making. And they can't see it. And you know what helps you see it? Is the Word. The Word helps you see it. Because the Bible says that in Jeremiah chapter 17, go down to the bold part, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There was a man in a very scientific age named Noah, and he wasn't ashamed of God's word. He knew it was God, and it never rained. He believed it was going to rain, and the faith that he had, he wasn't ashamed to exercise it. He took 120 years to build the ark. And when the, world was, uh, when the world was against him. And he wasn't ashamed of God's word in his day. God saved him in his household. How foolish it might have seemed to other people. But to him, he'd met God. And no matter how scientific the other was, no matter how scientific the other was, and how contrary it was, how it said it couldn't happen, it couldn't happen. But he met God. And you know what God said? It could happen. And you know what? It did. It did. You realize how many people are, how many people in that day were hiding behind Google in that day? As it was in that day, so was it this day. You realize how many people are hiding behind Google today? Was William Branham a true prophet? No! 
If you ask Google, it'll tell you no. You do a William Branham search, don't do this at home. If you do a search, you'll find all kinds of wrong things there because there's a lot of people who want it to be wrong because then they don't have to follow it. If the, if the majority, the vast majority, come up with all kinds of reasons why this message is wrong and Brother Branham was a false prophet, then you know what? They're off the hook. I can go find what I want. Or, or better yet, I can believe what I want. And a lot of people do that. That's a, that's a denomination. It's called easy believism, right? Because I can switch anytime. I can go to church if I want to, you know, all the rest of it here. There all, there's, all, there's billions and billions of reasons why Brother Bram's wrong on Google. Can you imagine back in the days of Noah, there must have been billions of reasons posted back there that said that there's no such thing as rain. You're, just, you're justified, perfectly justified in believing that there's no rain. In other words, you're off the hook from getting in that ark. But if it's true, now I've got a choice. Choices are very simple, one or the other. Get in or get out. It's like when Jesus, you know, they, they constantly fought with him and argued with him. And, and he says, search the scriptures. Amen. They are they that testify of me. You search the scriptures and find out if the Bible says that what the Messiah will do and find out if I'm doing anything different than that. Just go ahead and compare the two. Take the two pieces of the Chinese laundry ticket and put them together and see whether they got a match. And if you got a match, you know what? you got a match. Now you got a choice. But if, if the, the two pieces are not identical at all and they don't match and, they, and I'm not doing the things that the scripture says, you're off the hook. And they, they, they were trying. That's why they asked them all the questions they did. They are trying to find some place he's off, off the wall. Some place he's off. And they couldn't find it. When you, when you run into that circumstance, you've got to make a choice. I hope I'm making sense to somebody. I feel like I'm speaking to somebody and I don't know. But there was all kinds of people around Noah in that day and said, it can't happen, can't happen. Look, I got my phone. I'm right here. It says it can't happen. It's not a phone. It can't happen. But you know what? No matter what evidence they produced and provided for Noah, Noah had met God. And somebody who meets God is never at the mercy of somebody with a phone. <laughs> somebody with a revelation is never at the mercy of Google. Because, like I've said before, God doesn't even have Google. Doesn't use it. Doesn't need to. He's omniscient. Walls are great. Scripturally speaking, walls are great. They're great because they protect people who are on the inside. They're great because they keep the enemies out who don't belong in. Walls are great because they symbolize... You know what? This is the place of that nation. This is the, we are entrenched here. We are protected here. Walls are great. They're symbols of power and placement and authority of a nation. They're really good. But whenever you build a wall, whenever a wall goes up between you and God or you and the truth, and David discovered that in Psalm 51. That's why I read that. The wrong use of a wall is to put that between you and God because until Nathan had come, David was very content. I mean, he was ruling the kingdom. Everything was great. Uriah's not in the picture anymore. Kind of, he, under, his own, under his own steam, he kind of got this all the pieces taken care of. He just didn't realize that there was, a, there was observation from above he didn't count on. 
David knew that. I mean, David had written out the first five books of the, of the Bible. I mean, he knew that God existed and God was real and God sees everything. God knows everything. He knew that. But he lived in denial of that and built this little comfortable picket fence wall around himself and looked great. It only lasted until it didn't last. It only worked until it didn't work. Because God can reach over the highest of your walls. God can reach over the top of whatever you erect against him. And, and this is where David found himself. And, and it's a, an amazing thing how that, when you start to think about this principle now of how many walls we erect. We can put the wall of our years of service or we put the wall of our seniority or the walls of our pride or the walls of our whatever. We put the walls of the world and the walls of everybody. Everybody likes me on social media, so you know what? I'm, I must be okay. And that's why David is praying to God a different way now when Nathan comes to him. He's saying, search me, O God. Create in me a clean heart. I don't want to fool with this. I don't want to deceive myself, but Lord created me a clean heart. There's no alternate way because the one thing that God does like is a broken and a contrite spirit. That's, that's what he really likes. I wonder could we have our musicians just slide up here this morning and why don't we stand to our feet? Brother Branham, you know, he talked about some of the women of his time, which were, you know, dress codes were changing and uh, people's, the styles of the world were changing radically back then. Jackie Onassis and Marilyn Monroe, they were powerful, powerful figures in, a, in the culture of the United States back in, in that day. Powerful. And they had a profound effect on how women dressed, how they did their hair, how they conducted themselves, and so forth. And, and Brother Bram comes right along that. I've, I've got quotes here in 62, 63, 64, and he says, you know, he said, that's how adultery begins. And he said, you let Satan come in and put something in there instead of the Word of God. And he says, that's, that seed gets sown in the wrong place. And he said, now your, your mother used to dress this way, but he said now women dress a whole lot differently, vulgar dresses and so forth, wearing really tight. And he said, now you may say, look out, preacher, I never committed adultery. And he says, I know. And no matter how moral you live and how clean you live and how honorable you live to your husband, if you dress to make a man look at you like that, at the judgment bar, the sinner that answers for adultery he says, you'll be the one that committed it. Amazing thing. Because he's, he's not just looking at the outward conduct. Like, he, like that woman who came to him and sat in his living room. He's not just looking at her outward conduct. But he's looking at the heart. He's looking at what God's looking at. And he says, now, he says, take that with you, my dear friend. And before anyone could commit adultery, the woman had to present herself in that way. 
The woman had to act a certain way before any act of adultery could take place. And she poured herself into that sexy looking dress. And no matter, no matter how clean she is morally, she's adulterous in God's book. He said, watch. He said, there's your Hollywood. There's your devil. So where does it begin? It doesn't begin with the act of adultery. There's stuff that Satan wants to sow. And people feel justified because I never did anything. And I'm going to church and they kind of have a self-righteous wall built around there. And I'm still feeling pretty good. But Satan's actually plotting. He's actually working. Hey, all I'm saying to you this morning, folks, we, sh we, should, be, we should be praying, God, keep the walls of Jerusalem solid around me. You men, keep Lord, keep the walls solid around me. Don't, don't say, oh, it couldn't happen to me. Don't say that. You say, by the grace of God, here I stand. Amen. That's what you need to be saying. Amen. Because if you're a son of God and you're fulfilling the word for this day, there's wrath out there that's pointed at you. Just like it was for the people building the wall in Nehemiah's day, they were filled with wrath. And they were angry with Nehemiah and the people just because they were fulfilling the word of God. And if you're a son of God fulfilling the word of God today, there's anger pointed at you. And those 200,000, 1,000 demons are out there somewhere. Brother Graham said, now that's Hollywood. He said, that's adultery right there, moving. He's identifying that this doesn't start over here. It starts way back here. And it starts, you know, women have a part in that. Television has a part of that. Hollywood has a part of that. Now your phone has a part of that. Social media has a part of that. All, all these things have a part in that. And it all begins somewhere. It all begins somewhere. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Let's sing that this morning. Let's just be David for a little bit in Psalm 51. You ought to take it home and read it. And don't forget to read the context in the beginning because that's why that psalm is there. Now, I'm not accusing anybody. I just My job is to give you the full counsel of God. And I know that walls are real important to God. Right kind of walls are really, really useful, really good. Create in me Make it your prayer now. Be like David now. Oh, Lord, don't get that started. Don't allow me, Lord, never to let that get started. Yes, Lord. Speak to my heart. Speak to my heart, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Spirit within me, cast me not away, but cast me not away from thy presence, O Lord. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And renew a right spirit 
We. Yeah. 
me from between the wings of the cherubim commune with me commune with me commune with me from between the wings of the cherubim Sometimes, you know, it just means just coming back to just you and him. Just you and him. And, and there, there are times when there's a call. It seems like the Holy Spirit calls us. To, it's, it's not important what everybody else is doing. It's not important that you be with everybody else. What's important is that you need to come back to just me and you. And that's what David was. He was asking God, can I come back? Can I come back into your presence? And uh, unless you open that gate, unless you open your heart, Lord, there's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. If you speak judgment, you know what? You're justified. You're absolutely right. But can I come back? Because that would mean everything to me. And that's what he prays. I think that would be a good way for us to end today. But let me say this. If, if there's anybody, and I 
I know you know this, but if just anybody needs prayer for sickness or for any other reason, I'm always glad to pray with you. You just need to make your way to the front or linger behind afterwards, and I'm glad to pray with you. Let's sing this little chorus together now. Only you. are raised to you and we know Lord that you're a God who knows all you see it all you hear the secret conversations that take place in our hearts but you're a God who has an answer for all of it and and when we come back to doing things your way and something good happens Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just enrich every heart today. And Lord, may your presence just be very real. I pray, dear God, that you'd help us in the parts of our lives, Lord, maybe where we built a wall of indifference or a wall of anger or a wall of malice or whatever else, Lord, whatever, whatever else we put there to justify our position, Lord. May we have the discernment to be able to repent and take that down. Because, Lord, what we find in Scripture, the teaching, is that you don't break down anybody's wall they've built. We have to do it. And so, Lord, may we, may we be honest with ourselves and honest with you. And in the light of your word, Lord, help us to be mindful. There's not a thing in the world we can hide from you. Have your way, Lord, we pray. We commit the day into your hands, Lord. And I, I thank, Lord, of those folks who are sick and those who are facing surgeries and treatments, Lord, for cancer and needs, Lord, among us that are serious. And I, I just commit them into your hands, Lord. Have your way, we pray. We love you and we thank you. I ask, Lord, that you'd allow us just to take a little portion of this presence with us as we go. Bless our conversation, our session this evening, Lord, finances, and we commit it all into your care now. In the lovely and holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to let you go this morning. God bless you. Emmanuel is God with us. Let's sing that little chorus this evening, this morning as we go. May God bless you. For Daniel, may God bless you. Enjoy the balance of your trip. And uh, each and every one, God bless you all. Appreciate you coming today. <coughs> Emmanuel.